0: Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. All right, Isaiah, open up to Isaiah chapter 54. And we're going to look at what Isaiah says uh, as speaking for God. And he's going to instruct God's people to do three things. So if you're taking note, here's the three things that we're going to focus on in this uh, message this morning and then find some application on the back end. So God's people are instructed to do these three things. Number one, sing for joy, which we just did. And I hope you do it even more so after this morning's message. Live expectantly live expectantly and thirdly uh, do not fear or do not don't do not be afraid so again sing for joy live expectantly and don't live in fear or do not be afraid so let's examine those in a little more detail as we go to isaiah chapter 54 and here just uh, by way of just some understanding of, of prophecy at least from my understanding you may take issue with it, but that's okay. I have the floor at the moment, so <laughs> you get to listen. Uh, so prophets in general speak to the situations at hand. So Isaiah is speaking to the people of God for a real life situation that's going on at their time. But prophecy can have a multiple fulfillments, I believe. Meaning, there's a historical fulfillment or immediate fulfillment of that prophecy. So we'll see that this morning. The things that Isaiah says to the people of God actually happened already. At the time that he wrote them, they didn't happen, but they are, they're going to happen in their lifetime or their children's lifetime, and it did. So there's that historical reality of the fulfillment of prophecy. The, the second aspect is there's a future fulfillment. And you see the New Testament writers use Old Testament prophecy all the time and say that they're actually speaking about Jesus or the time that Jesus came. So that's the future fulfillment of prophetic writings. Not all of them are that way, but you'll see this morning the various times they are. And they are speaking of the first coming of Jesus Christ. So the church age, the days that we live in now. And then thirdly, I believe... Sometimes prophecy can speak to an ultimate fulfillment in the final consummation at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So again, just remember that when prophets speak, there's there's an immediate fulfillment, a future fulfillment, and there can be an ultimate fulfillment. Again, not all three of those are present all the time in prophecy, but I'm going to point out where I believe a few of them are related to this morning's message. So just keep that in mind. Because even though Isaiah is talking about things that happened a long time ago and we're looking back at them, there is some real-life application for us today. Some of this is relevant for us today uh, at the first coming of Christ, and some of it is relevant to our future, where we can look forward to a coming redemption. So with all that said, let's finally get to the text. And so let's look at the very first point, uh, the instruction to God's people from Isaiah Is again to sing for joy. Look at verse 1. He says, Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, and you, you who have not travailed, for the sons of the desolate will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. So the the very first verse, that word shout is actually sing. And maybe some of your translations will say that. The prophet is saying, sing for joy, rejoice, cry out loud and shout. Again, when we worship, that's what we're doing. We're shouting out loud, right? And singing for joy. And there's a reason that the prophet calls God's people to do this or there's a reason why he has them do this. Why does he want them to sing for joy? Why should they cry out for joy? If you remember, they've already been told that they're going to go into captivity ahead of time, and now they're being told, hey, before you go into captivity, don't forget to shout for joy and rejoice, which seems kind of like, what are you talking about? We're going to go into some hard times. Why are we shouting? Why are we singing and rejoicing? Instead, we should weep. But the prophets say, no, shout for joy. Why? Because he says to them, God ultimately is going to reverse the fortunes for his people. That's why he says uh, in at the latter half half of verse 1, you who have not travailed and you who have borne no children. So remember, in the covenant blessings of God, children are a blessing from the Lord. So a lot of times in the Old Testament, When a woman didn't have a child, she was mourning and sad and looked at it like, oh, the Lord's not having favor on me. And so when the prophets speak of that's what they're saying. God is going to have favor on his people now. He's going to reverse the fortunes, so to speak, of his people. So that's why he's saying rejoice, because those of you who didn't have children, in one sense, are now going to have children. God's going to reverse the fortunes of his people and it doesn't specifically mean, "Oh, you're going to have a baby now." No, he's using that to describe God's covenant blessings with His people. He's going to turn this bad news into good news. He's going to multiply His people. Again, this is a covenant blessing of the Lord. So that's why he says, "Shout for joy." And every often, I, I just notice this throughout the te- throughout this chapter. It's punctuated by God saying, thus says the Lord. So at the end of verse one, he says, says the Lord. He's like reinforcing this comes from God. You can trust what God says. Just like we sung, God is a promise keeper. And Isaiah is telling Israel that, that God is a promise keeper. Thus says the Lord. Or God has just spoken these words. So again, the very first thing he wants his people to remember is to sing for joy, because God's going to reverse uh, these cursings. These covenant blessings are going to come back to his people. Secondly, he tells them to live expectantly, and that's found in verses 2 and 3. Let's read those together. It says, Enlarge the places of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your descendants will possess nations and they will resettle the desolate cities. So again, Israel or their their land is going to be decimated eventually. They're going to be taken into captivity and so God here through the prophet is telling them, guess what? Eventually, you guys are going to come back and you're going to spread out your tents. You're going to make them wide. You're going to strengthen the pegs if you've ever been on, on a camping trip, you know, you have to pound those pegs in to hold the tent down. And if you don't do it very, very, uh, well, they can blow right off, right? Or if somebody stands up and hits their head on the top of the tent, the peg comes up and, you know, then you have to go back outside and do it all over again. But the point being is like, strengthen these things. This is gonna be per, this is gonna be a, a permanent thing for my people in one sense. God is saying, although your land's gonna be desolate, because he's been telling them this throughout Isaiah's uh, prophecy because of their sins against him, he's going to bring them back. Eventually, they're going to be taken out of captivity. and They're going to come back, and they're going to enlarge their tents. Their tents are going to be bigger. They're going to stretch the curtains of their dwelling places. They're going to strengthen their pegs. And not only that, they're going to spread them out to the left and to the right, and they're going to have more descendants, and they're going to possess all the nations around them. Again, this is a prophetic way that God is going to enlarge the land of Israel. And again, he says that because this is a covenant blessing. Remember, part of the blessing for the nation of Israel, even if you remember in Joshua, they're going to possess all these lands. That means God's favor was upon them. And that's what Isaiah is telling them. God's favor, he's taking the land away, but then he's going to bring you back to the land. And it's a covenant blessing for the nation of israel reminding them what god is going to do that god is a promise keeper even though they don't see it right even though they're about to go into captivity and this this is one area that alludes to a future blessing given to israel that they will engulf all the nations and we'll talk about that a little bit more and how that relates to us how does that really happen and we'll see that in a few moments So, once again, just to uh, point out the things that God is instructing his people in the midst of the bad things that are going to happen to them. Again, sing for joy, right? because God's going to reverse the fortunes of his people. And live expectantly. Expect that God is going to enlarge your land. God is going to bless you even more than before, is what he's saying here. And thirdly, do not fear, or fear not. Do not be afraid. And we'll see that in verses four through eight. And, and let's look at those now. Right there, very beginning of verse four, Isaiah says, "Fear not, for you will not be put to shame; neither fear, feel guilty, or excuse me, neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood; you will remember no more." So he's telling the nation of Israel, specifically the nation of yeah Israel, he's telling them, guess what, you guys? You don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen. Right? As he said over and over in previous chapters, because this is coming from God, this is a short discipline that's happening to you. He's going to even reiterate that later in the, in the chapter. But God's not going to ultimately leave you in shame. God is going to bring you back. And he's going to bring you back in such a way that you're going to forget about the shame that you experienced. You're not going to remember it. God will not allow his people to be left in shame. God will not allow them to feel humiliated. right? God is, again, he's going to reverse the fortunes of his people. Again, even though they're going to go into captivity, he's going to bring them out. And he's going to... uh bless them with his presence and his covenant blessings he's telling them you can trust God trust me on this you guys fear not you're not going to be left to shame you're not going to be humiliated you're going to actually forget about those things you're not going to remember them anymore so again those are the three things that he tells his people so the big question is okay it's great we know what we're you're telling us but How do we do that in the midst of this craziness? And that's what Israel is saying. Okay, we hear these things, Isaiah, but guess what? We're still going into captivity. How do we hold on to these things in the midst of that? And look at what he says. And this is where verse 5. And again, Izzy's uh, song selection, is so that last song, is so appropriate for this. Because he's going to describe who God is. How can you do what the Lord says? because of who God is, right? Just like we sing, God is way maker, promise keeper, light in our darkness, that is who you are. We sung, We just sung that, we sung those things. Do you believe those things when you sing them? Is God really the way maker when you don't know your way? Does he really keep your, his promises when it doesn't look like it or feel like it? This is what he tells the nation of Israel. Again, this is how you guys do it. He says, look at verse five. For your husband is your maker. Whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. And I want to stop right here and look at these things individually, are these not these things, these names of God or titles of God that the prophet gives to God. Again, and these, these names of God really speak to his character and his nature. and so that's why he's saying you can do it. You can go through hard times because of who God is, because God's character and and God's nature and his relationship with his people. Look at what he says going back to the beginning of verse 5. He says, For your husband. God is Israel's husband. Throughout the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, God's relationship with his people is spoken of as a marriage. God is the husband And the people are the wives. And in this instance here, you think of the husband. He's saying, I'm the one, your husband is the one who loves you, who protects you, who provides for you. And that's who God is. He's the the one who loves his people, protects his people, and provides for his people. So that's why, even though they're going into captivity, he's saying, I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will love you through the process. And then he calls himself again, for your husband is not just your husband, but he is your maker. He is the one who created the nation Israel and us by extension. God created all people. He's not just a provider and protector, but he created you. He is the sole author of his people. Another name used here to encourage his people is the Lord of Hosts. This is often referred to as a host, as an army, the army of angels, right? God is the Lord, or he's commander over all things, over all the universe, over all created things. This is who our God is. This is who Israel's God is. He's their husband, their maker, the Lord of hosts. And then he goes on to say, and your redeemer, a redeemer is one who goes and brings people back. Or buy somebody back. He goes and redeems them back. And redeems them back from the, the darkest places. Think of your own life if you've been saved by God. God has redeemed you. This is why Jesus is called the Redeemer. He's redeemed us back. And he's going to redeem Israel. Even though Israel's going to go into captivity, he's going to redeem them back. Fifthly, he's called the Holy One of Israel, just describing his transcendence. He's holy. He's out of this world, so to speak. He's so different from everybody else. He's this transcendent one who has come down to his people, Israel. And finally and lastly, to cap it all off, he is God of all the earth, meaning I'm Lord over everything. I'm totally sovereign. So this is why You can trust me when you go through the hard time of captivity, Israel. I'm your husband, your maker, the Lord of hosts, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. And this is why you can trust me, because this is who I am. Again, the song we sung just had four ways, or four, four descriptions. He's a way maker, promise keeper, light in my darkness. My God, that is who you are. Is God really those things to you? Do you really believe it? You need to believe those things to get you through all that we go through in our life. Because it describes who God's nature and his character. And so this is what Isaiah is telling Israel. Do not fear. Live expectantly. Shout for joy. You can do that because of who God is. This is who God is. Not only that, you can do it because what God has already done and what He is going to do in your life. Look at verse 6. He starts off by saying, For the Lord has called you. He's telling Israel, remember, God's called you guys His own special people. You guys remember about two years ago, before we started Isaiah, we began in Exodus. And we looked at the Ten Commandments and it was really a good place to, to start before we went into this prophetic book because it established God's covenant. We talked about God's covenant with His people. He's like, you are my people, my special people, a holy nation, a royal priest, I called you and I made you my own. And so this is what God has done with His people. He doesn't all of a sudden just forget about them. And He's reminding them over and over about this. And He'll even say it again, as we look at a few verses. So here again, he says, uh, for the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, and here's that point I made earlier, says your God. This is what God says. This is what I say. The Lord speaking. This is, all these things are true because I said them. And then he goes on, well, Not only because what God has done, but what God is going to do for his people. And that will take us from verse seven to verse 10. Let's, uh, let's read, let's read on verse seven. For a brief moment, I forsook, I forsook you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you. Says the Lord your Redeemer. Actually, we're going to stop in verse 9 right there. Says the Lord your Redeemer. God is saying here, you can trust me because what I'm going to do, I'm going to discipline you, and He's telling them, I'm disciplining you for a brief moment in verse 7. I forsook you for a brief moment. I'm going to allow you to go into captivity, but it's going to be short time. Right? Parents don't discipline their children indefinitely. Right? Did you get put on restriction for a week, month? If you're really bad, a few months? I mean, I don't know. Uh, you don't need to show me your hand how long you've been uh, on restriction longer than a few months. I know when I was on a teenage, when I was a teenager, I was on restriction every week. I'd get off on Friday. By Saturday night, I was back on restriction. So I, I didn't learn. I was like the nation Israel here, always being disciplined by my parents. I had a, a very hard head, I guess. It took the Lord to like wake me up out of my, my stupor there. So, <laughs> so God's saying, I'm going to discipline you for a brief moment. But then he contrasts that with his love, but my compassion, right? He says, my compassion, but my great compassion, I will gather you. Even though I'm, I, I discipline you, I'm going to bring you back. I'm the Redeemer, right? In an outburst of anger, I hid in my face, but, With everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you. His discipline is brief, but God's love for his people is everlasting. Again, just like a parent, right? Your anger with your children is but for a moment. At the time, it may seem like a lifetime to the kids, but it's for a moment, and your love for them is everlasting. It will never, ever die, right? Even when they move out, find somebody else and and they're out of your life, you know, so to speak, you still are going to have an everlasting love for them. How much more is God's love for his people? For a brief moment, he will discipline them. But he's saying, you know what? In my great compassion, I'm going to gather you, and I'm going to love you. Even my discipline is love towards you. And again, at the end of verse 8, says the Lord, your Redeemer, emphasizing this is what God is saying. God is saying these things. So Israel, you can do these things because of what God has done and what God is going to do. And verse 9 through 10 emphasizes that God is faithful in keeping his covenant promises with his people even when they are not faithful. Look at verse 9. And he, and he uses some, uh, some stories from old. He says, For this is like the days of Noah to me. You know, Noah went in the flood, right? I swore that the waters of Noah should not flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God is saying and using these stories and descriptions that he keeps his covenant, just like he did with Noah. I kept my covenant with Noah and said, I will never destroy the earth with water again. I will not be angry with you. It's going to be only for a moment that I'm going to be angry with you, but when I bring you back out, I'm not going to be angry anymore, he's telling Israel. right? He said, the, the mountains, he says the mountains, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness. My loving kindness will not be removed from you. God loves with an everlasting love is what he's saying. The nation of Israel totally rejected God. False worship and he still loved them. They turned his their back on him deliberately and multiple times, repeatedly, over and over again. He's saying, I still love you. I still want you to come back to me. And he's going to provide a way for them to come back to him. And so he just describes that he is a covenant keeper. And again, reminding them, says the Lord in verse 10, who has compassion on you. So that's how they can do it. When they remember these things, who God is, what he's done for them and what he's going to do for them, if they truly believe those things, then they'll be able to get through these hard times. They'll be able to hold on because of who God is and what he has provided for them. And this is what he promises them when they come back. To the land. And, and this will uh, finish the chapter here in verses 11 through 17. And then we'll come back and find application in all this. So, what the Lord promises to do for his people, number one, is that he will restore them to himself. He will restore them to himself. Look at what he says "O afflicted one, storm tossed, and not comforted. This is his people. Describing his people. Behold, I will set your stones in antimony, and your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlements of rubies, and the gates of crystal, and the entire wall of precious stones. So he's describing in very glowing terms, prophetic terms, of how his relationship is going to be with them when they come back to the land. Right? Right? He's gonna make it beautiful. He's gonna be with them. He's going to restore them to himself and he pictures that by bringing them back to the land in verses 11 and 12. For those of you that are familiar with Revelation, doesn't God describe eternity with the gates and the walls, with rubies and all kinds of things like this? We might touch on that depending on time. He's gonna restore them to himself. Again, he pictures this by bringing them back to the land And he tells them how he is going to teach them himself. Look at verse 13. And all your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. This is a speaking of intimate fellowship with God. Coming to the land is one thing, but it's better to have a relationship with God. That's the important thing that God is trying to show them here. Because as you know, Israel does eventually come back to the land, but then they become unfaithful again. Only the remnant stays close and tight with God. The rest of the nation falls away, and even to this day is still falling away. The, nation, the literal nation of Israel returning to the land is not a fulfillment of this prophecy because God wants a relationship. Returning Israel to the land is, a, is promised in the Old Testament when they follow God's laws, when they follow Him. So when the nation of Israel, if they truly followed God and then came back to the land, that would be an ultimate fulfillment of these prophecies. But the nation of Israel coming back to the land in 1940 or 1960 is not what it's talking about here because they don't follow God. God wants an obedient people first, not just coming back to the land as some fulfillment of prophecy Let's move on. Verse 14, he says, In righteousness you will be established and will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. The Lord is going to again talk about, I'm restoring you, and you're not going to worry about the oppressor anymore back in Babylon because you're going to be here with me. And notice something here, he says, In righteousness you will be established. They didn't do anything right. It's in God's righteousness. It's in God's love that he brings them back. It isn't anything that they have done. As a matter of fact, in chapter 53, which is alluding to the coming Redeemer, uh, it's alluding to Jesus Christ. In his righteousness, God's people are ultimately established. Let's move on. In verses 15 and 16, then he says, if any, if anyone fiercely assaults you, it will not be from me. So God's brought them back. He says, now if somebody comes after you, it's not my doing, right? When you're with me, I'm going to protect you. If anyone fiercely assaults you, will it not be from me? Whoever assails you will fall because of you. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and, and brings out a weapon for it to work. And I have created the destroyer to ruin. God is just talking about here, I'm the one that creates the guy who makes the weapons, who sells them to somebody to come and destroy you. I'm sovereign over all that too, Israel. I'm sovereign over all things. And God has said this over and over in Isaiah, that he's the one that brought the Assyrians, he's the one that brought the Babylonians to oppress Israel. God is in control of all these things. And then he concludes and says that all these things are going to be theirs when they come back to their physical land. And we'll talk about it, how it finds fulfillment in Jesus Christ and even in the future in a few moments. And he says, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. Again, God's protection. He restores them to himself and promises them, protection and he says this is the inheritance uh, this is the heritage of the servants of the lord and their vindication is from me declares the lord the lord is telling them right here that this is your inheritance when you come back to me the land is a symbol of me coming back to me you are going to get this inheritance my presence with you my divine favor And their vindication is from me. A better word for vindication, this is a translator's, uh, many commentators say this is a translator's error. A better word for this, and maybe it's in some of your translations, is righteousness. He's saying, and their righteousness is from me. And this goes with verse chapter 53, where it talks about God's righteousness, or God's wrath being poured on his righteous servant, and us obtaining God's righteousness, so our inheritance is fellowship with God and taking on His righteousness. And this is what he says to the nation of Israel. And then again, just to point out, he says, at the very end, declares the Lord. Again, emphasizing this comes from God. So with all that prophecy spoken to the nation of Israel about how things are going to work, for they're coming back to the land after captivity, What does that mean to you and me, living, you know, some, I don't know, close to 3,000 years later, a prophecy like that? Well, maybe you could tell as I was talking and going through it, that a lot of these things foreshadow a greater redemption. Like I said, there's an immediate fulfillment of prophecy, but then there is a future fulfillment, and then an ultimate fulfillment, And I want to point those things out as we move into application for us this morning. Again, all these these stories here, this story I believe is a foreshadow of a greater redemption that's available to all people. And this came about at Christ's first coming. It was inaugurated at Jesus's first coming. And so with that in mind, the things that Isaiah told his people to do, we we can do as well. And that would be, you know what? Today, we can sing. Today, we can shout for joy. Why? Because we have been saved. We have been called as God's people. We are the future fulfillment of this prophecy here in Isaiah 54. Look with me one more time at verses, uh, I think specifically verse, let's look at verse 3 once again. Remember I had mentioned, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings and spare not lengthen the cords and strengthen your pegs. God is talking about, Hey, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you to myself, but I'm also going to bring other people into this. Look at verse three. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your descendants will possess nations and they will resettle desolate cities. This is prophesying of God's, uh, presence going out to other people outside of the nation of israel this is what i believe he's talking about it's going to spread through other nations right you're going to your descendants will possess nations a strengthening of god's kingdom through the nation of israel and where can you see that fulfilled remember in acts chapter 1 verse 8 what did jesus tell the disciples when they were looking for the kingdom of god Are you going to now restore the kingdom of God? What did he say in Romans chapter, excuse me, Acts 1, verse 8? He says this to them. He says, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, so it's expanding, right, his witness, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. I believe this is what Isaiah is alluding to here in Isaiah 54 that God's people are going to spread out and go into other nations through the proclamation of the gospel. A matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, I believe, says this in Ephesians chapter 2. Tune there with me. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 11 through 14. He says, therefore, remember that, that formerly you, the Gentiles, so he's speaking to the Gentile church in Ephesus. He says, remember formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at a time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world. So he's describing them before Christ. You guys were not part of the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't part of those covenant blessings from the Old Testament on the nation of Israel. You weren't going to inherit anything from God. But, look at verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Paul is describing that the kingdom of God expanding, and going beyond the nation of Israel through the proclamation of the gospel. That is why I say, therefore, we can sing, because we are recipients of that great salvation. We are now one with the believers in the nation of Israel. Not only that, we have, we can sing because we are saved. That's partly why we worship, right? We're thankful that God saved us. Secondly, we can sing. I'm going to encompass all these under singing. Uh, We can sing because we have a great reward in the future. Each and every one of us has a great reward reserved for us in heaven, in Christ Jesus waiting to be revealed at the second coming of Christ. So we can live expectantly as well, just like the nation did at the at the time that this prophecy was spoken because they were going to come back to their land, inherit their land. In the same way, we as believers, we have a great reward stored up for us in heaven that we can look forward to. We can look forward to that coming redemption from God. Thirdly, we can sing because... We don't have to fear. We no longer have to fear the things of this world, for God is with us and God is for us. He's the God of, of you know, the promise keeper, again, so to speak. He's the God of creation. Again, think of all those titles I talked about in verse 5 of Ephesians, or excuse me, of Isaiah chapter 54. All those things are true for us. God is our Redeemer, right? He's the God you know, he's the, the God of the host of heaven. Let me pull those notes back up because I can't remember them all. He is our He is our husband, right? We are the bride of Christ. He's our maker. He's the Lord of hosts. He's our redeemer. He's the Holy One of Israel, which we are now a part of, the New Testament church. And he's the God over all the earth. All those things are still true for us today. Therefore, we don't have to fear. What will come our way? For God is in control of all things. Fourthly, today we can sing because we won't be disappointed. We won't be ashamed that these things won't happen. God said these things are going to happen and they will happen no matter what goes on in our world. Again, going back to that that worship song, even though we don't see it, even though we don't feel it, God is still in control. He is still on the throne. Turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Let's look at verses 8 through 12 and then verses 17 through 16. Second, did I say Ephesians? I think I did. I meant Second Corinthians if I did. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. The Apostle Paul I'm talking about, you're just describing his ministry to the church And the things that they're going through, look at what he says in verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, excuse me, in the body, the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He goes on to say, For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. The Apostle Paul is saying he's going through some severe persecution, him and the others that are in ministry. He's saying Think bad things are happening, but we're down, but we're not out. Right? We've been knocked down, but we haven't been knocked out. And he goes on in conclusion, drop down to verse 17. He says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehend, all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The apostle Paul is saying, we're not going to be ashamed. We're not going to be disappointed because what God has reserved for us blows away anything that we suffer here. We suffer, he says, momentary light affliction. And that could describe all the things that we go through in our life. No matter, and I'm not belittling them because I know they can be severe, right? We've lost loved ones. We suffer mentally, physically, emotionally. But compared to all that's reserved for us in Christ, these are momentary light afflictions. The Apostle Paul is saying, keep our mind focused on the coming redemption, and we'll be able to get through these things because of what Christ has done. Again, because thus says the Lord. Right? It's not just like we hold on to these platitudes, like God's going to get me through, God's, you know, God give God the wheel, that type of thing. no. It's because of what he's done already we trust him. We know that we will not be disappointed. And and next, today we sing, right? We sing for the coming redemption. So again, I had mentioned at the very beginning, there is an immediate fulfillment. There's a future fulfillment at the first coming of Christ, but there is a ultimate fulfillment at the second coming of Christ where all these promises will be uh, realized in a greater way, in a everlasting and eternal way. Because all these things that we've talked about now, right, were great rewards, nothing to fear, not being disappointed, being redeemed. We will inherit these permanently at the second coming. We will never ever have to, you know, we're told, hey, don't, we don't have to be afraid, but yet we still experience fear. In the eternal kingdom at Christ's second coming, there will be no more fear. You won't have to sleep with the lights on, so to speak. Because guess what? If we want to take it literal, there's no darkness in, in the, the world to come. Whether that's literal or not, I don't know. But the point being is that there's no evil. There's nothing to be afraid of. We're going to totally experience true peace, true comfort, true happiness. And this happens and is consummated at the Lord's second coming. Therefore, today, we can sing because of all that is going to happen. And, and I want to close out by reading about that in the book of Revelation that I alluded to. Let's read this. It's a fair, It's a. It's a longer-than-normal section that I want to read. It's in Revelation 21. And you will see the comparisons that I mentioned in Isaiah 54 about the foundation stones. This is probably one of the areas that John the Apostle, when he wrote Revelation, draws from that imagery in Isaiah. So in Revelation 21, verse 10, the Apostle is talking about the eternal kingdom our coming redemption. For those of you that follow Christ, that have received Him as Lord and Savior, this is your future. This is the vision John saw. He says, And and He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear Jasper, It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, angels. And names were written on them, which were those of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square, and the length is great as the width. And the measured, and he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which, also, which are also angelic measurements and the material of the wall and this is where it gets similar to Isaiah the material of the wall was jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass clear glass the foundation the foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone the first foundation stone was jasper the second sapphire the third chalcedony the fourth emerald the fifth sardonyx the sixth sardis the seventh chrysolite the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophras, phrase, fras, you get it, <laughs> the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were the twelve pearls, each one of the gates with a single pearl, and the city and the street were of pure gold, like transparent glass. Now all that to say is this is describing holiness, purity, right? If you don't know this, see, uh, Pastor John, he went through uh, Revelation most recently, he'll describe, he'll tell you what every measurement and word and angle and number means, right, John? <laughs> Going on, and I saw a temple, verse 20, and I saw a temple in it, and the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon, this is what I mentioned earlier, to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory in it. And in the daytime, there shall be no night. Excuse me, let me reread that. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed. Speaking of security, right? You only close your gates for protection. Again, it's eternal peace. We never have to lock the front door. You can leave it wide open, so to speak. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the coming redemption that we can sing about. And let's, let's close with these last seven verses. Sorry, i going a little long, but this is our future. This is good news. And he showed me a river of the water of life, as clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding the fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations and there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not need the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illuminate them, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true, And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservant the things which must shortly take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophet of this book. That's our future. We can sing about that. We can sing about the coming redemption. This is the ultimate fulfillment of what Isaiah is talking about. One day we will experience total redemption and experience real fellowship in person, face-to-face with our God. Can you imagine that? That will be something to behold. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word, for this good news of this coming redemption that we can experience now because of what Christ has done and experience ultimately and fully when Christ's return. And I pray this morning that all those who hear this message will receive you as Lord and Savior, will understand who you are and what you've done for them. And even though as things get tough in this world, they will always look to you and to their coming redemption. Help us to live for your glory in these turbulent times. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's uh, put this sermon into application and stand and sing to the Lord. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us, or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot Thanks for listening.